We're talking about experiencing God, and we're going to continue with our subject matter that I started last week, identifying where God is at work. Philippians chapter 4, excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, sorry about that. And this is after Paul has stated that he had many reasons to be confident in his flesh and in his heritage and And he transitions and he says, in light of everything that I've accomplished and all of my accolades and all my achievements and all my successes and my great heritage and great education and my great standing within the community, he says, this is my sole desire in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being Conform to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This tells me a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit, that prior to us really coming to God, that all of us have goals, ambitions, dreams, and desires. And to a degree, they're somewhat fulfilling, but nothing compares to Christ. So no matter how educated you are, how successful you are with your career, no how much how much money you have in the bank, no matter how good your marriage is, no matter how good your your health is or how sound your mind is, it pales in comparison to knowing Christ. And that's really what Paul is trying to communicate to the church is that I I have tasted of this world and I have been very very successful. And yet when I tasted and came to know Christ, There was nothing else I desired but to know him. And he gave up his worldly ambition and he began to pursue his relationship with Christ. That that tells me a lot about the Holy Spirit. That apart from the Holy Spirit, you know, we have good plans. I think even honorable or commendable goals. But when we come to Christ and the knowledge of Christ and the beauty of that he is the beautiful person he is in our life. Everything sort of falls into the backdrop compared to Christ. And so we want to continue to look at where God is at work and identify where he's at work so we can recognize where he's at work both within our lives and also within the world in which we live. Before we get there, let me remind you of a few very, very important foundational principles and truths to this subject matter. First John 4:19 says we love him because he first loved us. And I do pray that we would have an understanding that God is the initiator and he is the one that invites us into the relationship that we have with him. This relationship is one that is loving, transforming, forgiving, empowering. It's really a redemptive life. And our acceptance of Jesus' lordship in our lives is the result of us identifying God at work in our own hearts. The only way that we could come to God is that he initiated a relationship with us by revealing his goodness to us that led us to repentance. When we identified the goodness of God in our life, or it was revealed unto us that God was good to us in spite of our sinfulness, we identified the work of God in our life. People say, well, I, I can't identify where God is working. Do you remember the day you were saved? That's God at work. 
That was God at work in you. You recognized God drawing you. Jesus said, no one can come unto me unless the Father draw him. So if you know Christ is your Savior, you have identified at least one time in your life, at least once, where God was drawing you to himself. So if you can identify it one time, could you identify it a second or a third or a fourth or a fifteenth time? It's not that he draws us to himself one time and then he never draws us back again. Because our relationship with him is like into a well with water, which equals eternal life. And that is the well that we're so supposed to draw from. And that's the supply of the spirit that we're to draw from all the days of our life. The book of Galatians is a great study because Paul was concerned about the church and where they had gone since they had come to Christ. Many of them had gone back under the law and now they were trying to serve God out of duty or obligation. And he began to ask the believers How did you come to Christ? Was it through the law or was it through faith? Are you going to go on to maturity in your life then through the law or through faith? And it's so such a slippery slope to come to faith in Christ and then put ourselves under a yoke of bondage and try to make all the other Aspects of our life work through duty or law or obligation. When, if you came to faith in Christ, the way that you're going to grow in Christ is through faith. Through an abiding, trusting relationship. And the foundation of this relationship in everything that is fruitful and good in our life is love. It's what compels us. It's what makes our faith work. It's what gives us confidence and assurance in the day that we stand before the Lord is that we have been touched by God's love. And we responded by saying yes to Jesus. So every good work we do should come from this foundation of God's love for us and our desire to please him. Obedience is the outward expression of our love for God. So here's a question. Is your relationship with God based on love? Loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because many churchgoers share that their service for the Lord is more about duty. They believe in God. They fear God. Many of them serve God. But they would never categorize their relationship with God as one of love. While they hear the message that God loves them, they struggle with that in their daily lives. Does God love me? Is God pleased with me? And because of that, If we're not careful, it pulls us over into proving things or trying to earn something that's already given to us without any qualifiers. We've heard the term many times throughout the years, unconditional love. That's God's love towards us. It's not based on performance, anything that we've done or anything we could ever do. God is love and he's demonstrated that towards us. This is what 
makes experiencing God and encountering God a reality in our lives. Because everything else that's done out of duty or obligation or a sense of, of we owe God something does not produce healthy results in our lives. And many people that have grown up in a performance-oriented home, they're only rewarded for the good that they do, and they're never encouraged when they're struggling, struggle with this aspect of their relationship with God. And so they feel good about themselves when, in their mind, they're doing good, and they don't feel good about themselves, i.e., when they don't feel they've been that good. Therefore, God loves me when and God loves me if, but they never have settled the issue, God loves me, period. And without that being settled and established in our lives and revealed to our lives, we slip back over into legalism quicker than what we would imagine. And outwardly, everything that we do looks very attractive. We go to church, you know, we buy the T-shirt, we get the bumper sticker, we wear the jewelry, we sing the songs, we lift our hands, we fear God, we serve God. You know, we say we're faithful to God. But if we really ask ourselves, is everything that I'm doing in every aspect of my relationship with God come from the foundation of love? Otherwise, obedience can come out of duty or obligation, but that's not really pleasing to the Lord. But when our obedience springs forth from this unconditional love that we've experienced, there's something very attractive and magnetic about that. On your worst emotional day, God still loves you. In your worst moment, in your poorest attitude, in your your coarse language, in your prejudice, in your pride, in your sin, in your shortcomings, God is love. And we can come to him at any time to receive any of our needs met. But we never leave the same when it's based on love. Our language gets better. Our attitude gets healthier. You know, our interaction with people becomes more Christ-like. We never can go to God as a loving father and as his children and leave without being touched and transformed and renewed by his love again. But if we go go because we just want rid of the guilt and the condemnation and the shame, but we don't understand the relational aspect that God desires to have with us as people, then we ourselves can go out, and this may not be our intention, but we can be a Pharisee, we can be a scribe, we can be a Sadducee, we can be a keeper of the law to the letter, but have no spirit about us. And that was a concern of Paul to the Galatians. And I I think it's, I think it's a valid concern in the world that we live in. There's probably more of us than not that still feel like we don't measure up at times because we're basing God's acceptance towards us on our works, not on the work of the cross. So unconditional love becomes like for some folks, yeah, because they're not as dirty as I am. 
So experiencing God, recognizing God at work first begins by identifying a time where God did work in your life. And everyone in here who knows Christ has at one point in time been drawn to him by God's spirit. A tug in your heart, a knowing that you would be accepted, that you would be forgiven, that you would be cleansed. And you came and you experienced that. Somehow we walk away from that and then we say, God, I've got it from here. Thanks for everything that you've done, but I'll take it from here. You did the work on the cross and we relegate the next experience that we have with God, maybe when we pass away and go to heaven. But the concept of walking with God, of fellowshipping with God, of having communion with God, a relationship with God sometimes is so foreign to people that are churchgoers. Their experience with God is based more on events and activities, conferences, or emotional highs. But there's not, for the most part, across the body of Christ, but there's not an awareness that they were created by God for God. And that their greatest achievements in life pale in comparison to knowing him and loving him and allowing him to love us. Jesus brings everything into perspective in our life when he says, what does it matter if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? What did you win? What did you gain? You know, it's been said by one minister. He said, I would rather have the presence of God in my life than own the world with a gate around it or a fence around it. And yet some people believe that the more that they gain and the more power and the more upward mobility that they have and the more money that they have, then the better their quality of life will be. But you can chase that until you're exhausted and you're never fulfilled. There's a sense of temporal fulfillment with it. It just comes from men. And the recognition that other people would give to someone who has done something commendable. But there's nothing better than at the end of our life to know that what we did, we did are in duty and obligation as unto the Lord because we have been touched by his love. It compels us. It keeps us in service. It protects us from backsliding. It, it, it prevents us from, you know, running from God. It keeps us running to God. It rids us of offenses. It, this, this is such an instrumental part of our relationship because it's our foundation and from your foundation, right, comes your future. So foundationally, this is so key and so vitally important to us experiencing him. So I believe that everyone in here has had some God experiences. You've encountered God. And those are sacred moments. And I'm not here to tell you that you're going to encounter something that is overwhelming every day of your life. Because you don't need something overwhelming every day of your life. Because God is evident in so many subtle and beautiful ways every day if we would just be awakened to him and his work and the beautiful work that he does every day. And not take it for granted, not take it lightly, not just gloss over it, but actually be intentional in saying thank you and showing gratitude and appreciation.
So if our relationship with God is based on duty and it's more about, you know, what we believe, and I think that's important. I think the fear of God is important. All of these things, serving God, but nothing, nothing can take the place of the foundation of love. You can't substitute the fear of God where the love of God needs to be your foundation. Because Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? We know the answer. It's in Mark 12, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So that tells us several things. You have a relationship with God, right? You have a relationship with yourself. You have a relationship with your neighbor. And from your relationship with God, hopefully you have a better relationship with yourself and you're going to have, therefore, a healthier relationship with your neighbor. So if your relationship with God is based on love, then it's real, it's personal, and it's practical. You can identify and say, these are ways that God is working in my life. So I want to encourage us, if not, we need to make that a priority in our life and in our devotional times to love him and to love him with all of our being. Love is the foundation to recognizing where God is at work in you and identifying where he is at work in other people. John's Gospel, Chapter 5. This is a portion of scripture that we read last week, but we're just going to summarize it and move on. John chapter uh, 5, verse 17. And Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. So that means where the father was working, the son was working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner for the father loves the son. There's the foundation for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, Jesus made this outstanding statement and one that sometimes we are like, wow, that's amazing. Verse 12, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also and greater works than than these will he do because I go to my father. Whatever you ask in my name. And that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So in John's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus acknowledged the Father was at work. He said, I'm working where my Father is working. He acknowledged, I'm not doing this on my own initiative. I'm just following the promptings. Where the Father is working, that's where I'm working. So he identified where his Father was working, and that's where he was busy. And he said, whatever I see my father doing, that's what I do. The father loves me, and therefore he reveals where he's working unto me, and I get busy working with him. So when we're at home and at peace and with the Lord's love, then we're am- I'm amazed, I should say. I'm amazed at how how much more I'm aware of where he's working Not only in my life, but in my family and with my friends and in work and in our community. I could say among saints 
And I can say among sinners. Because he loves us all. Some people see God at work among the saints, but they don't see God at work among the sinners. I would say that if you've ever met an angry, insolent man, you might be able to identify God at work. Because that was the category that Saul of Tarsus was in. Angry, insolent, full of wrath. Religious, but not righteous. A law keeper, but not someone who had experienced love. But he met Jesus. Jesus introduced himself. And Paul became a great vessel for God's glory. So Jesus includes us in John chapter 14 and involves us in his work. And then he gives us his spirit upon the new birth. And he says, as my children, you're going to be led by my spirit. And he's leading us to a selfless life and to a life of service unto himself. As many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons and daughters of God. They're the children of God. If you look at that within its setting, it's a life of service It's a life of dying unto self and being alive unto God. And so the Spirit leads us to not live a self-fulfilled life, but live a Christ-centered life. That's God at work in you. So maybe we're about to identify a second place that God has worked in your life before. Has God ever dealt with you about selfishness? Can I get a witness? Right? Just half of you? Okay, let me encourage you. If you open up your heart, God will reveal unto you areas where you have not been a giver. Where you have been selfish. Yeah. And so, God works in us by His goodness and convinces us what? It's better to give than to receive. It's better to bless... Than to receive a blessing. So if you can identify the day you came to Jesus. There's God at work. The day that God dealt with you about a selfish attitude or lifestyle. There's God at work. So he's probably been at work in more areas of our life. Than we've been willing to talk to him about. Or acknowledge. And sometimes the reason we don't, let me go back to this so that we can go forward, is because we haven't established our relationship based on love. Whom the Father loves, he disciplines, that we may grow. The word discipline there does not mean to chastise, to cause harm. It means to teach and instruct and to enlighten for good. So the way that God disciplines us is through instruction, through correction, revealing his goodness, convincing us his way is better, and then leading us on that path. God does not browbeat us, condemn us, or criticize us. He knows that would only cause us to withdraw. Scripture says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. But if you or I, and I have, and you have, and all of us have had, Sometimes negative experiences with authority figures and they haven't been affirming and their discipline has been cruel and harsh 
and not been reasonable or just or fair, you can see how it would cause us to be reluctant to draw near to God because, hey, pastor, he knows everything. And at any time, he could bring up a lot of stuff. But here's how good God is. He said, I choose not to remember the former ways and your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That's his choice. He's God. He makes the rules. And that's a pretty good rule because what it reveals is I choose not to remember it because I love you that much. I'm not holding it over your head and you don't have to make up for it and you don't owe me anything. But then I stop and I say, no, I owe you everything. And I don't owe you everything to get everything. I owe you everything because you have given me everything. I'm not trying to earn or merit. I gave up duty and obligation. I'm trying to move away from pharisaical and self-righteous and, and, and legalistic attitudes and move over into areas where there's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There's where the well of life is. That's the kingdom of God. So God is actively at work redeeming the lost world and he chooses to involve his children, us, in carrying out this redemptive plan. So we have to know that God is always at work. He's always active. So we have to watch and be observant for God at work. We need to recognize where God at work because it begins with us recognizing where he is at work first and foremost redemptively in our lives. Everybody say redemptively. That means he's just, he's buying back stuff. He's bringing stuff, good things into your life, into the treasury of your life. Things that sin stole, God is redeeming. The things that sin came in and that Satan stole because he's a thief, where he brought destruction and death, the Spirit of God is breathing life and resurrection and bringing into your life and my life the grace of God. I have to say this because maybe this will help some of you and then we're going to finish with some real practical thoughts, okay? Sometimes we don't recognize God at work until after he's been at work. And then we look back and we're like, oh, that was God. But in the midst of him working, sometimes we feel frustrated. We feel restricted. We feel limited. But he's got us right where he wants us. Where the only place we can go is Him. Because we've tried to do it 101 different ways outside of Him. And He might put us in a place where the only one we have is Him. And when that's all you have, you'll realize that's all you need. And that's where you'll experience God. As long as you have a plan B, C, D, and E, God will let you work it. But when they come to an end and all you have is plan A, then plan A is what you'll start to do more often. So sometimes I've discovered in my life, Doug's plans just aren't going to cut the mustard. God is real. God is personal. Listen to me. God is practical. He's practical. He knows what you need. He knows you need clothes. He knows you need food. He knows you need shelter. And all he says is, just put me first. How many of us are doing well with that? He said, I'll take care of all of that. But somehow, come on, I know I'm helping myself right now. I feel like I have to provide. 
And then we say, but no, Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. And then we say, God supplies all of my needs. And when we walk out the door and we feel like we have to burn the candle at both ends and we have to prove and we have to provide and we have to do this. When God simply says, if you put your hand to work, I will bless the work of your hand. But how many of us feel like we have to get that blessing? We have to earn our right. We have to show someone that we're good enough. Strong enough, capable enough. And Paul said, listen, everything that I put my hand to that was successful is not success compared to knowing Christ. That's the greatest thing in my life. So Christ is my life. He didn't just come to give me life. Christ is my life. And that's the point that he wants to bring his children to where we realize, no, he's my life. And at the end of this life, he's my life in eternity. He is all sufficient, more than enough. And he has given me opportunities to use the gifts, the callings, and the talents that he's given. But they're all his. And he's the one that adds the blessing. So maybe God's been at work, right, when you're at work. I think he has been. So focus on your relationship with the Lord. Here's something that's important. Be willing to accept the assignment that God gives you. And the assignment that God gives you is not something you want to do. It's something he wants you to do. Let me say that again. Because a lot of people believe that God only calls them to do things they want to do. Let me encourage you to read the Bible. Because within the pages of God's word, there was a lot of things he asked people to do. And they said, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. So God. We play that that card with God, that God, you know, I'll do something that I like to do. And then you just bless it. And God just sits back and says, wrong card. Because he holds all the cards and, you know, God can count cards. And God knows the cards that you're going to play before you even play them. And he's still holding the card that really will bring fulfillment to you and help you experience in him. But a lot of people, they don't like the assignment that God gives them because it requires them to trust him. And it stretches them outside of their comfort zone. Sometimes we say, you know, people that, you know, you give a spiritual assessment test. Or you give a personality profile and someone's got to bend, their personality bends that way. And we say, oh, they'd be great over here. Not according to God. God doesn't call us according to our personality profile or our gifted set. He calls us according to his assignment. I would never have chosen this. I wouldn't have picked Doug to be a pastor. I felt I would have been a better teacher a better coach, an architect. I love architecture. I love building. I love design. But in God's plan, he called me to be a pastor. It requires faith. Those other things I had a natural bend towards. It's amazing that all of those other things somehow get incorporated within what I have to trust God to help me to do week in and week out. Some people say, well, you know, I'm just naturally gifted this way. I guess God's called me to do that. 
Well, not if you're just doing it apart from him. When's the last time you asked God, God, what do you have for me to do? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to serve? Where do you want me to be? Not my will, but your will. When did you really lay that before him? Because that's where you're going to experience God. Not when you're asking him to bless what you do, but when you recognize where he is and that's where the blessing is. That That's another step relationally towards experiencing God. Amen. And just watch what happens. So we have to be willing to accept the assignment God gives us. We have to know that he will equip us to fulfill the, the assignment. The example of Moses. Moses says, I can't do it. We know the story. I stutter. Get somebody else here. And then he comes before the people. And the Lord said, what do you have in your hand? He has a staff. He said, that's what I'll use. So it was just a setup so that Moses had to trust God. But in the end, who got the glory? God got the glory. And that's what we want. The evidence of God at work both in our lives and in other people's lives, will take care of itself as we step out in faith and obey the assignment. Identifying where God is at work, the family, your friendships, your work, your neighbors with saints and with sinners. Love must be expressed in tangible ways. A person cannot love without another someone to love. So when God calls us to go and represent him in the world, It's because he has someone he wants us to love in his name. Love is a tangible and a very real way that we express the grace of God. So how do we recognize? How do we recognize where God is at work in others? So I want to read John chapter six, verse one through six. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs and uh, he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up. Uh, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, He said to Philip, where do we buy bread that these may eat? Uh, But he he uh, but this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. So this is a, a miracle that's getting ready to unfold here. And Jesus is recognizing that God has set everything up to where they all had to depend on the father. Everything was a divine setup to where there's no way that a need like this, this huge need, couldn't be met unless God showed up. Unless they experienced the presence of God and the provision of God. And so that's sometimes where you recognize God at work is in the impossible. It's not within the realm of human possibility. It's only God can do this. And when you and I see that, Only God can save. Only God can heal. Only God can deliver. Only God can set free. Only God can convince someone that they need salvation. Only God. Then you see and you recognize God at work. So there's a myriad of ways we can do that. But then there's another example 
that we'll get to in the upcoming days, but I want to leave you with this, and then we're going to be dismissed. So God is at work, number one, where people receive you. To as many as received him, Jesus, they became the sons of God. You have to go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Many people waste years of their life trying to play God in other people's lives. And we're not qualified to do that. We're going to change them. We're going to fix them. We're going to deliver them. I'm not qualified. You have to go where accepted. And you know where you're accepted is where you can have a conversation and it's not forced. There's just a flow to it. It just unfolds. If the conversation becomes awkward and people shut down on you and you're lacking something to say and your emotions get involved and you get angry and you take it personal, I promise you that's not God at work right there. That's you trying to force something. There's no flow. There's no life. There's no expression. And maybe it's time to step back and ask somebody else, ask God to send somebody else to do that assignment because that's not my assignment. Sometimes God needs to bring someone in who knows nothing about the situation so that when that person speaks to the person who's all messed up and you know all their mess ups, and I think I'm preaching to myself right now, you know everything that's wrong with them and you know how to make it right. They know that's just you drawing on the history of that relationship and they resent it. But if you step back and say, God, you've got to get involved because this is I'm not being accepted here. I'm not being welcomed here. So you've got to bring somebody from the outside and give them wisdom and a mouth of understanding. And they step in and they start poking and they start identifying areas where they need help and where they need healing and where they need deliverance. Then that other person says, only God could have brought you into my life. And they identify God loves him. The other thing that's very important when we're working with other people is where you know you're accepted is we have to acknowledge that it was God who brought our paths together. We have to acknowledge that. We're like, man, God brought us together. And the third thing is, you know where God is at work in other people's lives through you is that you both come to a mutual understanding. God brought us together for something that would glorify him. We didn't come together just because we have mutual interest. You know, we like music or we like sports or we like politics. Uh, we like current events, pop culture. No, God brought us together for his purpose. And let's figure out what that purpose is and let's do it. So where you're accepted, where someone says, man, you're an answer to prayer. And you say, you know what? You're an answer to prayer in my life. And you can be as different as Mutt and Jeff, but you're like, man, I mean, you're the butter to my jelly. They're like, right on. Has nothing to do with personalities. And then you say, you know what? God brought us together for something bigger than ourselves. Let's figure out what that is. God brought us together for something bigger than us. What, what is it that he brought us together for? That's how you start to acknowledge God at work. It's not natural. It's him, but it's real, it's relational, and let me tell you, it's practical. Thank you for listening to today's message. 
We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.